Um, because New Hope has kind of a, a family vibe to it, I'm, I'm able to do some things that um, are a redirection. So Rob asked if God ever changes my mind in the midst of, you know, being up here. It's like every other sentence, okay? Um, and the things that he presses on my heart weeks ago, I, I'm usually working months in advance for what you would hear on a Sunday morning, um, I sometimes wonder, like on a Monday, okay, God, where's this going? I'm, I'm not seeing how it's all going to fit together. And then last night, it hit me like a, a, just a freight train, why God was pressing me in one direction when I heard Rob share what he did about how God kind of pressed on his heart. He actually slapped him across the face pretty good, okay? And I, I can speak to Rob that way because we're good buddies. And I've been black and blue from God before too. When, when we think we understand his activity and then we come to a realization, oh, it was something totally different than what I even saw. It, we get a little black and blue from the Holy Spirit at times. And, and Rob was sharing with you, he had that experience. Um, here's part of the redirection. I'm going to ask Rob a question that I asked him last night unsuspecting. For the Saturday night group and, and for the 9 o'clock service, I wanted you to hear his response to the question because I think you're going to identify with this, especially with what Paul has to say to us in Ephesians this morning. Rob, when, do you have that? Yeah, you have that mic. So Blair's got the volume. Um, when you prayed and asked God to lift the people up out of the ghetto eight years ago, did you really believe that he would do it? I wanted them lifted up. I authentically prayed and, and wanted them. I truly wanted them. What person wouldn't want these, these people lifted up? Did I think it was going to happen? No, not me and my human shortfalls. No, I, I really didn't. Okay. And I, I appreciate the honesty. I think most of you could say, I, I get that. I have prayed about things and I'm thinking, I wonder if he really is even interested. Am I the only one that has that experience? You identify with that? Times when you've gone to God and said, I'm not even sure this rises to the level of being on your agenda, but, okay, where does that come from? Why would we possibly believe that the God of the universe would be interested? Where I'm going to take you this morning, I think God's going to give you a whole new understanding about his relationship with you personally and how he wants to respond to you. We've only got two verses left. We're going to finish Ephesians this morning, and it'll go fairly quickly. But in order to get there, we, we need to understand what's going on. So I'm going to pray with you that God would give us the ability to see what he really wants to communicate this morning, and then we'll, uh, we'll take this on. Pray with me, please. Father, I first of all thank you that you pressed upon the heart of Paul to write these things down and that it was your words and that your spirit moved and caused these words to be articulated in such a way that we know your heart. I ask as we look at it this morning that you would speak to our hearts individually. Every man, every woman, every child needs to know where we stand in relation to you when we talk to you. So God, I ask that you would help us 
to get a grasp on this and that you would increase our understanding through the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we understand that Paul has allowed himself to rise above the smoke of the battlefield. He's, he's in a dungeon, remember. He's in spiritual warfare and he's in physical warfare. And he writes about God's strategy for being prepared in the midst of the battle. So for us to really understand where we're going on this, this last Sunday in Ephesians, when we talk about spiritual warfare, we've got to frame it and understand its origin like we did on our very first Sunday together in this. And that the adversary is so huge that we're up against. And the battle that we're in, we have to grasp the basis of the battle. Because ultimately, the battle that we're in is ancient. And our foe is devious. And he's cunning. And his supporting horde of demons that come against us are massive. And the fallen angels are very, very, very old. And they are very, very, very intelligent. And they are very, very, very patient. They've seen humanity for a long, long time. We're nothing new to them. And so they have strategies, and it's critical that we understand when God says you can come against them, how we come against them, and what does it look like when they come against us. So we have to begin by recognizing the fall of man altered reality. What Adam and Eve knew in perfection, which you will know one day again when you enter God's presence, is something that we don't know today. Reality was altered. What they experienced is no longer here. Things that were seen are no longer seen. Things that were are no longer present. So we, we accept that with the fall of man because Satan so effectively baited Adam and Eve that he caused them to believe that they would see things that they couldn't see in their perfect state. What he said to them was, your eyes would be open. Look with me on the screen, Genesis 3.5. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles this morning, stick your finger in Genesis and also in Ephesians because we're going to flip back and forth. But Genesis 3 says this. This is Satan speaking. In the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So in one sense, we, humanity, came to experience things as a result of the fall. We began to see things that were ugly and things that were wicked. There were things that otherwise we would never otherwise have known. That's why God said they're going to know good and evil now because evil is going to appear on planet Earth. But ultimately, what we come to the realization is what was lost in essence was not just perfection. What was lost was not just our innocence. What was lost was not just physical Thorns and thistles growing, weeds sprouting up. We began to age, our eyes deteriorate, our skin begins to sag. It's not just that. Preeminently, the greatest loss was this, and it continues to be to this day, that we lost communion with God. Man lost the ability to have intimate relationship with God. And as we've spent millennia attempting to get back to what was at one time, the ability to walk and talk with God. Can you, in your wildest imagination, if, if I told you that today you could buy a ticket and jump on a jet plane and, and you could fly to a remote, tropical, lush location, and in that location, if you got there at the right time of day and you waited in that garden, 
God would show up. Can you imagine that he would walk with you and talk with you and tell you that you're his own? Adam had that. Adam had that. He walked with God. He talked with God, the creator of the universe. God could explain nebula to him. He could could hear God say, you are my precious creation. Adam had that. Let me me remind you this. Genesis 3, you see it up on the screen as well. Genesis 3, 3, 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife, his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. You stop right there and say, why did they hide themselves? Because they knew God was looking for them. Because that's what God did. He showed up and he walked with them. And he talked with them. And it was his time of day when he came to do that. And he wanted to have fellowship with them. But they hid themselves. Go on with me. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard you. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. See, they hid because they knew God was going to be looking for them. There's only one problem when you play hide-and-seek with an omniscient God. He's omniscient. <laughs> you can't hide. And they, they had to respond because when God calls you, you have to respond. And when you've made a mess of things, you have to give an accounting for the mess that you've made, and they made a mess. Uh, more significant than that, there's consequences for the choice. And they made a choice to rebel. And so they lost intimacy, and they lost fellowship. And you know that you know that you know that once they realized what they lost, they wanted it back again. Oh, they wanted it back so badly. You ever locked yourself out of your house? Ever lost your keys? Your kids have lost your keys? Blame it on somebody. You want back in that place because it belongs to you. It's your space. It's it's where you're comfortable. It may not be the Garden of Eden, but it's yours. They lost what was theirs, and they wanted it back again. That's why Rich Mullins wrote, Awesome God, the Lord our God wasn't kidding when he kicked him out of Eden. Our God is an awesome God. Because of this, God placed a cherubim angel, the highest order of angels, read it in Genesis 3, at the gate of the garden and refused them entrance again. He placed a flaming sword there which turned and rotated so they could never re-enter Eden. They lost intimacy So that takes us to that place where Rob's at, where he's sharing with us about what you all feel. When we talk to God, do we really believe that we've got such good fellowship with him that he's going to hear us? And he wants to respond to the things that we ask about. That's where Paul's going in these last two verses, this final part of Ephesians, because he's calling us to an activity. He's saying, because of all these things that you know about this megas battle that you're in, because this adversary is coming against you, you've got to do something beyond just putting on the armor. Look with me at verse 18 out of Ephesians chapter 6. It says this, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, 
And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. You notice this word alert keeps popping up this morning. You're going to see it over and over again. Now, this is interesting. When God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave Adam a responsibility. After he created him, he created the garden, placed Adam in the garden, he said, you will cultivate it and you will keep it. The word keep in the Hebrew language is shamar. It means to be on the alert, to be on guard. On guard for what? He's in perfection. On guard for the attack of the evil one. On guard for the one who will come against you. It actually, in the Hebrew, it means to look narrowly. When my wife goes shopping and she sees something on sale, she looks narrowly. She sees that item. Okay, you got the picture in your mind. When you're on guard, you're focused. Adam was told to stay focused. Focused for what? To be on the alert. Now, Paul uses two words here, prayer and petition, when he says in verse 18, with all prayer and petition. Well, prayer in the Greek language is just a general term, meaning talking to God. But petition, that gets really specific. Petition is the word desis in the Greek language, and it, it means to mention things in detail. Matter of fact, it's used again in Philippians 4. Let me show you this on the screen. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. It's the word desis again. Just the, the word petition and supplication can be interchanged. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Meaning pray specifically. Because God cares about specifics. Every form of prayer is appropriate when, when it's done in the right humility. We pray publicly, we pray privately, we pray out loud, we pray in whispers, we pray in loud cries, we pray on our knees, we pray with our arms opened up, we pray with our hands closed. Closed. Uh, Lori and I were in a restaurant this week and I saw a young couple sitting down, and they're in their mid-twenties and as soon as they sat down, they both bowed their heads and she began to pray. And I just thought I'd step back and watch them for a little bit. I get to observe people. And so I'm just watching. And uh, she must have gone on too long because all of a sudden he looked up and he's looking at her and his head's tilting and then he starts looking around. And then he sees me looking at him and puts his head right back down again. <laughs> I almost called him out on that moment. See, we do that. We, we pray in, in uncomfortable situations Jesus prayed standing, he prayed kneeling, he prayed sitting, he prayed laying down probably. Wherever you can pray and in whatever situation you find you're in, yourself in. Here's something you might not have known. The Jews, however, only had two prescribed times of day in which they would talk to God the Father. Intimacy had been lost for so long and fellowship was so far gone that they prayed morning and they prayed evening. At the time of the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice, the Muslims picked up on it in 600 AD, and you hear about morning prayer, morning call to worship in the Muslim world, evening call to worship. They're, they're mimicking what the Jews did, the ancient Jews. That's all they knew because there was no intimacy. There was no fellowship. So they just prayed morning and evening, and Jesus recognized they'd fallen into a pattern. So look with me on, uh, on the screen at Luke 18. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times... They ought to pray. So they'd, they'd fallen into a habit. At all times, talking to God was not common to them. Matter of fact, looked on the screen at this one, Luke 21, 36. Keep on the alert, there's that word again, at all times, praying in order that you may have strength. 
Jesus speaking again, praying at all times. It wasn't part of what they did. Have you ever tried to change culture? You ever tried to break tradition? I've tried in my house on Christmas morning. I mean, my kids quickly remind me of the traditions from the years going by. It's hard to change culture. Jesus has a culture in front of him who are not used to talking to God other than morning and evening. He's saying pray at all times. Now, the arrival of the church brought a whole new aspect to prayer. You see the Holy Spirit arrive, and in Acts chapter 2, you start reading about it, and, and you see that the church continually devoted themselves to prayer. They, they were going before the Father. Now, when Paul says pray at all times, here's a heads up for you. It doesn't mean pray every waking moment of your life. Jesus didn't do that. The disciples didn't do that. It doesn't mean every waking moment. It means to live in a continual God consciousness. You're aware that when the temptation comes your way, you offer it up to God and say, Father, I'm being tempted, and this thing looks really attractive to me. Would you just take it away? It means when you see something beautiful, you're standing on the shore of Lake Michigan or water skiing across Lake Lansing, you say, God, this is beautiful. Thank you. You see something evil, you pray that God would make it right. You see someone who needs Jesus, you pray, Father, that person really needs you. Would you rescue them? You find yourself needing a deliverer. You pray. That's what it means to pray at all times, to pray persistently. Father, just go before me. And in this way, our life becomes a continual prayer. Now, if the ultimate purpose in Jesus coming and saving you, presuming that you're a believer in Jesus this morning, if his ultimate purpose in coming and delivering you was to restore intimacy and fellowship to the Father, not just to rescue you from hell, but to bring you back to the place where you have an intimate relationship again. We fail when we deny the need to come to God. We're no different than Adam. We might as well go to the garden and hide behind the bushes saying, I don't need you, and I hope you don't see me over here. But we're those who have been called into fellowship. Look at the writers in the New Testament said this in 1 John. 1 John 1.3, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus. See, God's great desire and our great need is to be in constant fellowship with him. So Paul tells us in the end of verse 18, you've got to do it in the Spirit. That means to pray in the name of Christ. In, in concert with his will, with his character, with his nature, to pray in union with the Holy Spirit. That's a cool verse that I really love. It comes from Romans 8, and it says that even when I don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for me. Look with me up on the screen. Romans, Romans 8, 26. The Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Anybody say amen to that one? <laughs> Okay, the rest of you are liars if you're saying no. We don't. Scripture says no. You, you, we don't know how to pray as we should. That Paul wrote that. He said, I don't even know how to pray as I should. But look at the last, last part of it. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Ah, that's cool. That's our God. So verse 18 says, be on the alert. Be on the alert with perseverance and petition. Uh, being on the alert means you're going to be devoting yourself. You're going to be keeping alert. It's used of Moses when he led the children of Israel 
out of Egypt, out of captivity. We're told in Hebrews 11 that Moses never gave up. He was steadfast. He continued. He kept going. Even when people were complaining and everybody said it can't be done. So to be devoted in prayer means to be courageous and to be persistent and bringing everything before God specifically. So if we're going to pray in the right way and have fellowship with the one who used to walk in the garden with us, we're going to be praying very specifically. Look at what Jesus said in John 14. John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus is telling us to be really specific when we talk to him. John MacArthur is a whole lot smarter than me, and and he, he spoke about this passage. I want you to see his quote. John MacArthur said this, God answers prayer in order to put his power on display. And when we do not pray specifically, he cannot answer specifically and thereby clearly display his power and his love for his children. So that tells me when we pray as a church and we say, God, you know what? We need a whole lot of crayons for Kawanguari for a whole bunch of children we're never going to see. And we've only got 86 crayons and we need 2,000. God says, 2,000. I'm going to give you 8,000. See, God says pray specifically. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you pray specifically about that. Focus on particular people, particular problems, particular needs. Praying about those specific needs, you get to see God answer specific needs, and then you can sit in the pew and say, amen, God gave us 8,000 crayons. Does that give him glory or does it give us glory? It gives him glory. That's the focus of this. So Paul got really specific. In verse 19, this is where he begins to end it. He he literally says, I want to be specific with you. Look at that. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Would you go before the Father for me? Would you talk to God on my behalf? I I want him to do something for me. I want him to be able to help me to speak more adequately. Think about where he's at when he wrote this. That he's in chains is secondary. It doesn't even rise to the level of mention at this point. He says, I want to be able to talk to people about who God is now. I want you to really notice this. Pray on my behalf, not because my ankles are swollen and raw and the skin is ripped from the bone because I'm in shackles or that I'm filthy, dirty because I've been chained to this wall or that I'm starving because I'm eating this gruel. He doesn't even pray that he get released from prison and from his distress. What's he worried about? Pray that I can speak to these Romans that the praetorian guard who's guarding me, that they might hear the mention of the name of Jesus and turn to him. And in the midst of it, Satan's tempting him. Shh, Paul, you risk too much. Paul, you're putting your life on the edge. Don't don't go there, Paul. So he's saying, I want God to help me to be bold. Will you pray for me? And when he's discouraged, he needs God to encourage him. So he's asking faithful believers to proclaim. Paul needs help, God. He wants to proclaim the truth of the gospel. See, he needs help in his battle against Satan. 
He's pleading with this church in Ephesus that he might have an opportunity to advance the kingdom. Now, let's put this in context. Paul is gifted. I mean, he trained under Gamaliel. It's like going to Harvard or Yale for a law degree. He was trained under the best of the best. He's one of the brightest stars in all of Israel. The guy is intelligent. You can see it in his writings. He's courageous. He's been in shipwrecks. He's been beat. He's been stoned to the point where people thought he was dead. This guy is brilliant. He's courageous. He's gifted. He's spiritually strong. And yet, he greatly needs God to strengthen him. Why? Because he's staring the enemy in the eye. He's face to face in the midst of the battle. And he knows he's not able to win in his own strength. He needs the one who walks and talks in the garden to come to his aid. And so he's asking believers to pray for him in the midst of the battle. So he quickly reminds them, hey, I'm in chains. Look with me on the screen at verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, it is the gospel. In proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Is there a cost? Is there a cost when you put on the whole armor of God? You're going to strap on the belt of truth and you're going to begin telling society what God says is true? Is there a cost? You begin wielding the sword of the Spirit? Is there a cost? The guy's in chains. I don't know what chains are going to look like in your life if you're willing to put on the whole armor of God, but there's a cost. But I was curious about how did the Ephesians respond to Paul's prayer requests. So you got this church in Ephesus. We talked about this the very first week. Pagans who have become believers in Jesus who are now forming this small church in Ephesus who are living in a really wretched environment. And they get this letter from this guy by the name of Tychius, which Paul wrote and sent with Tychius to them. And they're reading about... Paul in chains. Now, do you think they took that letter and curled it up and just tossed it in the waste can? Or did they sit down and begin praying? I'm pretty sure they responded with prayer. Matter of fact, I know that they did, and I'll show you how I know. I bet just like you and I, though, two months went by, three months went by, and they weren't hearing things. They didn't know how things went. And eventually, Paul probably just faded out of their mind. At least the fact that he's asked for them to encourage him. But along comes this letter that was written to a church in Philippi. This letter to the Philippians was written just after the book of Ephesians was written. And Paul tells us something that you need to leave here with today. Look with me on the screen. Philippians 1.12 My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Is your God not awesome? This is on the heels of him saying, I'm in chains, and I need you to pray for me because I want to be bold in witnessing. And then a few months later, he writes to the Philippian church and says, hey, look, look how my circumstances have turned out. The Praetorian Guard knew hope. These are the warriors of the warriors who are seeing this dirty old 60-some-year-old man laying in a dungeon who's in chains 
and he's dirty, and he's talking about Jesus, and they want to know why. And he's bold enough to speak about the gospel in the midst of the dungeon to the degree that the praetorian guard, they're saying, what's going on here? Uh, How much further does it go? Look at the rest. And to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, they got courage. They got courage to speak the truth of God without fear. Now remember, this is the time when Christians are being fed to the lions who are speaking publicly. Nero is putting them on the ends of posts and using them for nightlights. They're being ripped apart by wolves. The gladiators are killing them for sport. And Paul says, because of my chains, they're so bold, they're speaking the word of God without fear. It's humiliating when I read that. It is. It, it, I, I just, I, I humble because of what God can do when we say, Father, will you rescue the people of the Kawanguari? Will you lift them up out of the ghetto? And eventually it fades from our minds until sometime at midnight we're sitting in a hotel room and God says, hey, Rob, that's exactly what I've been doing. Look at this. I mean, they're better off and it's increasing and they're coming to Christ. I was there. I saw it. I know. What David Katanga is doing among these people is just like Paul was doing. People are coming to Christ. So here's where we're going to end this morning. Paul just gives some detail. Verse 21 closes with the detail. Here's what it is. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. See, he's the one that got to carry the letter to the Ephesians. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus with an incorruptible love. Tychius was an Asian who had been assigned to Paul. And when Paul took money to help the church in Jerusalem where they were starving to death, Tychius was right there with him. He was with him in the first imprisonment. He was set out on missions commonly with Paul. But that's not what's so important here. Here's what's important. Paul realizes the Ephesians will not be able to pray for him specifically and intelligently without more information. See, he knows what you know. He knows that we fight from a position of victory, that we wear the belt of truth, we got the breastplate of righteousness, we got the sword of truth. He knows all those things, but he knows they need more information. Your God has promised to equip you, but that equipment is suspended as if in midair without being used until you ask him to equip you until you ask him to put that armor so that you can wear all of that equipment and you have to go before the Father. And that is a dangerous, dangerous prayer. You go before God and ask him to help you. He's going to expect you to use it, but he will not force it on you, New Hope. That's not your God. That's not what he does. Prayer is the spiritual air that you breathe as the soldier of Christ. God expects you just to inhale it and exhale it. 
It's the communion with the one who created you, who walked and talked with us in the garden at one time. And here's why he wants you to do it. Because the adversary is very, very real. We are no longer in the garden. We've been put out into the wilderness for a while. So watch and pray. Principalities and powers are waiting for unguarded moments in your life. And Satan would love to bring you down. So watch and pray because on that issue hangs the moment. You are the hooper nakao, the overcomers, the ones who have known victory in Jesus Christ. So walk in it. Let's pray new hope. Father, at the same times that our hearts are strengthened and encouraged, we're also humbled. I'm sure my brothers and sisters here are much like myself in this moment, thinking of the times that we fail to be persistent in prayer or to be devoted. But even when our faith is weak, you are faithful. Even when we don't think you're going to give us 8,000 crayons, you show up. God, thank you. Thank you that even the simplest prayer uttered by a child is heard by you. And that in your timing, you answer according to your will and your purpose. I pray right now, Father, for your church. I pray for those that were here at Saturday night service and for those that were here in the 915. And I pray for the 11 o'clock service. For every one of us, God, who were able to listen to your word this weekend, I pray that you would make us more bold that you would make us dangerous for the name of Christ. God, that you would take us out of our comfort zone to the degree that people would look at us like they looked at Paul in prison and want to know more about you. So God, I pray for courage. I pray for humility at the same time. That we would remember we've been saved by grace. We pray to you in Jesus' name, thanking you for our mighty and soon-coming King. And all God's people said, Amen.